0: This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you're at all interested, please check them out. Brett, hello, sir. Kareem, how are you? Very good, sir. How are you? Lovely I'm to see you. Great. Lovely to see you.
1: Great to see you. Um, you. Where are you located, sir?
0: Uh, but we're in uh, we in Scotland, uh, just outside Glasgow.
1: Excellent. Uh, the The accent was a dead giveaway.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've had uh, We've had a couple of uh, American guests on, including Philip Amiras, who you know. Uh, so i I'll, I'll try my best to, to to speak a little bit slower than usual <laughs> uh yeah it can be it can certainly be challenging it can be challenging
1: it's uh it it's i I love the accent uh i and and um, you know alan Cosgrove is a is a friend of mine and and uh, his his accent has softened over the years yeah but uh you know it's still one of those things that uh, if you get him on a roll uh, <laughs> You, you got to slow him down every now and then, but uh, but I appreciate it. Um, and uh, I've never been to Glasgow, but uh, I've just heard fabulous things. I, I look forward to maybe uh, being able to visit there one day.
0: It's, uh, I think you always appreciate, or, or you always sort of covet maybe what, what you don't have, but I, as a city, I, I love it, I really do. We're, we're maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes away, uh, but yeah, it's it's a lovely place. Talking about Philip Amiris, he actually, uh, he introduced you to me and, and actually called you his strength sensei, which I thought <laughs> which I thought was really cool.
1: Uh, That's excellent.
0: So when he said that, I thought, yeah, this is, this is definitely someone who, who I want to get onto the show. So thank you so much for making the time for us. Absolutely.
1: No, it's great to have the opportunity.
0: Okay. Uh, do you know, when we were chatting back and forth, uh, via email and things, I'd, I'd said about having quite a, a, a relaxed manner on, on, on the on the podcast. But when I thought about it, I thought that your knowledge is going to be really, really specific on this. So I have actually, for the very first time in the show, taken some questions just so that I don't miss anything that I, that I wanted to I wanted to ask you about. So uh, yeah, going to do something a wee bit different today.
1: Perfect. Okay, um, I'm good with it.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. So you are the director of education for Strong First. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a wee bit about Strong First and what's involved in in the role that you have?
1: Absolutely. So essentially, I do uh, curriculum development, uh, development and and uh, progression of our instructors and and the the, the curriculum things we teach. Uh, editing and updating the manuals, um, staying in constant contact with uh, members of our leadership uh, we we have a kind of a tiered structure within strong first with master instructors senior instructors team leaders, and then you know the 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 rest of the the field of, of instructors and these people lead teams and teach force us at various events yeah. and so I work with them on an ongoing basis to uh, progress uh their curriculum uh drill standards uh and their their teaching and and presence uh presentation skills
0: and a wee bit uh, a wee bit about strong first the pa- pavel Satsalin is the, the sort of owner of the organization i, I would imagine uh, yes. How how did you get introduced to him and can you tell us a wee bit about about him
1: Oh, sure. So I was, uh, running a hospital fitness center in, uh, Northern, uh, North, uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania. And, uh, a friend of mine came in and said, Hey, you need to check out this stuff by this guy named Pavel. And, um, this is, uh, 98, 99. Uh, and so, yeah, don't, don't let the baby face fool you. I've been (laughs) uh, been doing this uh, a while. Yeah. And so uh, he's like, yeah, you got to check out this stuff by Pavel. And so I, uh, I ordered uh, one of Pavel's first books, uh, Power to the People, which was a minimalist uh, strength training approach, uh, a, dead, a deadlift and a press, essentially. And a lot of information in there that was really uh, counter to the hype of the day, which was very much still bodybuilding based, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. body part splits and going to failure and, you know, all this other stuff. And Pavel was the antithesis of of all of that. And so I got interested. And, um and then they came out with their, uh they started selling kettlebells. And the first kettlebell book that Pavel did the, the Russian kettlebell challenge book. And so I got that true story. I got it. I read it. I'm like, wow, this is really good information. But I can do all of that with a dumbbell. And I threw it in a drawer. <laughs> yep, yep. yep. But it was it was scratching at the back of my head the whole time. And so eventually, a couple months later, I pulled a book out and I start reading it again. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to give this a try. And so I hooked up a dumbbell with about 50 pounds and tried some of the one of the snatch routines uh, mm-hmm. that he had in there. Of course, I was doing a dumbbell snatch, not a kettlebell snatch. Yeah. And um, and as I like to joke, uh, when the EMS revived me, I said, I think I should go get some training in this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which is a joke. The EMS did not have to come. Uh, But I certainly appreciated by the end of that workout that I should probably go get some training in this. And so I went to the second ever uh, kettlebell certification that Pavel taught in February of 2002. And then I was invited back to be a senior instructor in April of 03. And so I've been traveling and teaching uh, kettlebell training and and, uh, working with Pavel since 2003. And uh, certainly been as a, the old uh, Grateful Dead song would would say, uh, "What a long strange trip it's been." Uh, and I, I remember really well when I first got involved with kettlebells. Um, everybody was saying, I, "It's a fad. It's, you know, they're going to be gone." And, and I'm like, "Well, here I am, 17 years later. It's it's taken me all over the world, and it's still my primary my primary form of personal fitness training my primary form of teaching my i mean it's it's a lot of what i do and so you know specifically to pavel himself uh, tremendous guy uh he's just a wonderful guy he's a, a incredible depth of knowledge um he will usually blow behind me in the first five minutes of a conversation and i've got to ask him to kind of slow down and go back and well, what was that thing you said yeah. and and try to catch up but uh you know as uh as CEO and kind of leader of the the organization, uh, he's just tremendous to be able to work with and and to follow his work and and uh, things that he's progressing on.
0: I think for I think he's probably I was I was int- introduced to him properly when he appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast, and uh, there's a number of the episodes of Joe, Joe Rogan that I've listened to a number of times, but his episode in particular was one of the ones that I must have listened to. Four or five times now and talking about his breadth of knowledge just every time listening oh he said that and oh he said that and just picking a different thing up each time uh it, it, his, his knowledge on on not just kettles but in fitness in general is quite quite unbelievable
1: definitely and that you know the the russians approach uh to to give you an example there's a uh there's a school and the, t- the the name of the school is like the University for Evaluating Special Problems in Jumping. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: Wow. <laughs> so there's there's like a, a school that's dedicated to perfecting jumping. Yeah. Um, so th- their 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 approach is uh, a bit more detailed, uh, and and they they definitely take the deep dive and have some tremendous information.
0: Yeah. Do you do you know or, or... Is there a, a, a general acceptance on where the, where the, the kettlebell or the, the design of the, the equipment actually came from? I, I know, I believe that, that it's a Russian origin, but how, is it actually, how did it come about?
1: It's, um, well, there are many different uh, versions out there of, of where the kettlebell came from. Uh, I know that it appeared in the Russian dictionary in the um, 16th century, I believe. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. um, so the the term "geria," um, I think I believe appeared in the in the sixteenth century uh, dictionaries in in Russia. So it's it's been around for quite a while. Um, if the original weights were a pood, a uh, pood and a half, and two poods. okay, and so that's sixteen kilo, twenty four kilo, thirty two kilo. Okay. And so what I heard early on is these were the weights that were used for measuring crops. Where we use bushels, they use poods, um, and uh, it wasn't uh, didn't take too much imagination to picture a bunch of uh, you know guys farmers standing around. And before it's, I can lift that more times than you can. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of uh, mindset developed. And um, there's there's a history of kettlebells in a variety of cultures. Um, the, the the nature of the the design cannonball with a handle on it. I mean it's uh it's a very uh deceivingly simple uh design. Yep, yep. And uh but that design has tremendous benefits and it's uh it is a unique tool. And uh I I uh I it's been my primary form of training now for um 19 years. So
0: it's I certainly remember being in the gym and them just appearing I don't really know what they're used for, or maybe you've seen someone using it. Uh, but certainly over the last few years, it's, it's well, again, the last 20-odd years, it's gradually became uh, a much more accepted and a much more used method of, of physical fitness and working out. Uh, you're going to be biased here. We know that. Uh, we're talking to a kettlebell guy. What would you say were the main benefits from of kettles over. And again, I, I don't like using the traditional sense of it, of working out, but dumbbells, barbells, we still see them as being traditional and kettlebells mm-hmm. being used. So what are the main benefits over over traditional?
1: Certainly. So uh, right off the bat, the, the design that I was talking about, the thick handle and offset center of gravity. So you pick up a dumbbell, you pick up a barbell, that, that's gonna center with your hand. Whereas the center of mass of the kettlebell is gonna be 68 inches beyond your hand or 68 inches uh, laid over on the, on the other side. So that offset center of mass makes the weight far more alive uh, in your hand. Uh, it's something that you have to you know, control and work with. Uh, the thick handle trains a lot of grip uh in in uh just naturally uh in the forms mm-hmm. of when you're swinging and snatching and doing stuff you're going to get a lot more grip training and uh, there's this unique loaded eccentric position that we can get into when you hike the kettlebell back on your swings clean snatches things of that nature um you really have i like to joke that you can only swing a barbell between your legs once
2: yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> You'll decide that was a bad idea, not, yep. not do that anymore. Um, but the kettlebell, because you can get into that loaded eccentric position, uh, it's I can produce. Uh, I've been on a force plate with a just swinging a 24 kilo bell, but I was producing three to three and a half times my body weight eccentric load in that bottom position and that's a great return on investment uh whereas with traditional plyometrics which of course uh, can get much higher in uh, the number of times body weight load that you'll take uh, but to swing a 53 pound weight and to get three and a half times my body weight eccentric load in that but in that position where you're learning to absorb and redirect force very rapidly i think i just described athletics uh yeah. In, in, a, in a very succinct manner where you're absorbing and redirecting force. And so we get to train that in this rhythmically repetitive manner um, with this tremendous e- eccentric load. Uh, so I, I think those things just alone um, provide a, a, a lot of benefit. And that offset center of mass when we're doing things like getups and we're, we're military press or, or things like that, that offset center of mass up to a certain point will actually guide me into better positions. It'll, it'll assist me in having a better lockout uh, for my get up in my press. Then you reach a point where it's heavy enough, the center of mass is far enough away to where it's a challenge and something that you really have to work with.
2: Yeah.
0: And so
1: it just continues to build some pretty unique strength profiles.
0: A couple of things that you mentioned there, I had actually planned to discuss later in the conversation, but let's let's jump in. Uh, There's a functionality, and again, it's maybe it's quite a lazy word to use. You you can describe it better than I could, but there's a there's a functionality about kettles that someone like myself who's sort of heavily involved in martial arts, even up to professional level, the kettlebell seems to be the the go-to exercise now for any type of fighter, any type of martial artist. Because of that functionality, uh, can we have a wee chat about that and how you see it fitting into those things?
1: Absolutely. So we used to have a, uh, um, I believe it was a secret service uh, personnel uh, who uh, said uh, kettlebell training was the closest thing you could get to fighting without getting hit. Yep. Yep. And so that, um, and and that one, it's a couple of the first groups that were really interested in kettlebell training were martial artists, military law enforcement uh, because they recognize very quickly the benefits of, of working with this tool. So in addition to the uh, you know thick handle offset center of mass, the loaded eccentric, uh, when you're doing things like the one arm swing, one one side snatch, uh, things of that nature, you're handling that off center load, uh, an offset load. And so the bell's trying to twist you out of position. You're trying to keep it from twisting you. Uh, so it's providing this kind of 3d strength
2: mm-hmm. where
1: we're performing these anti-rotation things. Uh, then we're performing exercises like the get-up, where we're really being loaded from a bunch of different angles and, and positions, building some good resilience in the shoulders uh, important for, I think every uh, martial artist grappler um, yeah, sure. combat yeah. athlete. And so there's a, there's a ton of stuff going on there. And with things like swings and snatches uh, and clean and jerk, we're really building power and conditioning, uh, at the same time. And so when you're, when you need to practice your art and you need to be drilling and, and working on your skill, you, your training needs to be efficient. Your training needs to be something that, that gets you the benefit that you're looking for so that you can go do the thing that you want to be better at. Mm -hmm. And so kettlebell training really delivers there because you can put together a very, uh, efficient package of a uh, minimal number of drills that are really going to benefit you uh, on the mat or in the ring or you know what in your own practice um, so you know I, I think that uh, the the ability to train power conditioning uh, those various angles um, and and resilience
0: it's
1: good good package.
0: Yeah for, for sure uh, that 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 question and the answer that you've given sort of fits into the, the, the question before regarding comparing the two, because if, mm. if, if working on the kettle press, for example, the first thing I, as, as a very, very amateur kettlebell practitioner, uh, but more of an experienced martial artist, the first thing I look there when I'm going to press the kettle is, what's my feet doing? Mm. How's my base? And straight away, there's, there's, comparisons between the two, uh, and there's, there's a, a reminder that to deliver a punch or to, to pull somebody in or push someone away, you need the base that the kettlebell exercises really do uh, help with, they really help with, they're really uh, coordinated in, 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 in what both of them are trying to get us to do.
1: Definitely. And so, you know, things like the clean and the swing, the press, uh, everything starts at the foundation, establishing that proper base. But then because we're driving through the ground every time we do a swing or a snatch or whatever the case may be, um, we're really developing the ability to root uh, much faster. Uh, that's usually something that can take a student uh, quite a while to begin to, to really embrace. But you start doing it automatically within the swing uh, because if you don't, you're going to get pulled off base uh, and the kettlebell will be swinging you instead of you swinging the kettlebell. And, uh, so it, it does have a lot of those, um, kind of just uh, intrinsic kind of benefits where, and, and we, we call it the, uh, what the heck effect. Um, so we had people that started doing their kettlebell training and then they were setting a pull-up PR, even though they hadn't been working on pull-ups or they were, you know, setting a squat PR. They hadn't been working on their barbell squat. Uh, so we just started calling it the what the heck effect. Like I'm doing this thing that doesn't seem to be related, yeah. but all of a sudden I'm better at these other things.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's not just that I'm lazy, but I want, if one thing will give me three, then I'll do the one thing. Sure, of course. I, I, don't, I don't need to do the other three. Yeah. So the again, that efficiency and, and carryover uh, and the impact of the kettlebell training really, really delivers.
0: Again, you're seeing so many things that are, there's little light bulbs going off in my head. Uh, again, it's just coming from the, the depth of knowledge that you have in talking about this subject. A friend of mine was uh, was very keen on testing his personal bests on the, the bench press, for example. But he wanted to improve those by simply studying the simple and sinister protocols from Strong First. and had recorded his sort of personal best on the bench and then had dedicated a number of weeks or months in uh, improving his, his kettlebell swing, his Turkish get-up, etc., to see how those benefited his lifts. Now, the problem is that COVID-19 decided to rear its ugly head and that little sort of system that he had going it's kind of falling away at the moment uh, but again i'm I'm sitting with a, a technician here, so let's get technical how does the different kettlebell protocols that we can all study how do they how do they improve our bench press or our uh, any any other more traditional personal best weight lift that we look for
1: so for something uh more specifically to the upper body lifts, so to speak. So if we, if we think about the bench press, obviously your ability to properly position the scapula to actively lower the bar into position and then have that smooth drive off the chest. Um, And so we, we kind of refer to it as being a strength professional. So when you, and you can see lots of strength amateurs out there and watching a strength amateur bench press is very much like being in a car with somebody who's trying to learn how to drive a stick yep. you know they're going to they're going to hit first gear and you get jerked forward and then you get jerked back and yep. you know it's it's not a smooth ride yeah,
2: yeah
1: but you get in the car with a formula 1 race driver you don't even feel the gear shift you just go faster mm-hmm. and so the strength professional is the formula 1 race driver it's the you know you don't feel the transition between the muscles the weight just moves better. Um, whereas the, the strength amateur is kind of one muscle at a the time. They try and drive it off the chest. Then there's nothing behind it. So they end up doing self CPR for five or six reps. <laughs> right. Yep, yep. So when you practice things um, like the get up, you are learning how to stabilize and position your scapula. You're learning how to center that load through your body. You're going to bring up the stability ability, uh, around the shoulder and other joints because of the way you're being loaded in all those different positions and strength is not stability. So strength is the ability to produce force. Stability is the ability to control that force. That's moving through that joint, uh, and the get up, is gonna give you a, a lot better stability ability uh, through a lot of different ranges and that potentially will carry over to something like the bench press or a military press or a punch or you know whatever the case may be. And uh, smoothly going through all of those transitions is gonna give you a little bit more of that strength professional uh, smooth <clears throat> transitions between uh, the muscle groups and, and positions. So all of that carries over into better performance.
0: Of course. Uh, a little quick uh, question, and again, you were mentioning the, the the handle on the kettle, and obviously helping with the grip. Uh, what what what's your thoughts on the, the 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 pros and cons, or or why do we have different shaped kettles? Because you, you maybe, maybe it's just to accommodate or or be more accommodating to more people. who are starting out. I don't know, uh, but you get kettles with. The thicker handle, you get thinner handle, metal, plastic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you were to pick a perfect kettle, describe that for us, if you could. Um,
1: it's it's the cast uh, kettlebell that uh, Strong First produces them right now. Um, Perform Better has a good line of them. Um, you know those those are two of the first that popped in my mind. I prefer the traditional cast uh, kettlebell where the handle has a little more shape to it, uh, because then you have good horns on the handles, allows you to do goblet squats. The thicker handle is going to be a little bit better when I want to do my bottoms up drills. It is going to load my grip more. Um, The main other type of kettlebell is, uh, and so real quick, you're going to run into some different uh, designs as far as that cast kettlebell is concerned. And there'll be, a more distance between the handle and the body of the bell, there'll be a little less distance. There is kind of an ideal distance where the the kettlebell is gonna rest uh, just below the wrist. If it's too far down, it gets a little awkward. If it's too high, it could potentially force the wrist to have to extend and be very uncomfortable. So there is kind of an ideal position where the the bell is gonna rest. uh, And that has to do with the distance between the, the handle and the bell. Uh, the other main type of bell that you're going to see are the competition bells. Okay.
2: Um,
1: kettlebell uh, is a sport that is internationally contested. Um, so typically, max repetition snatches in ten minutes, uh, max repetition jerks in ten minutes, or a long cycle competition where you're doing a clean before every jerk. Uh, that is uh, brutal. Yeah. Uh, and and those GS, it's called Gear Voice Sport. Uh Geary is kettlebell, uh, Giroboi is kettlebell lifter, uh, also in, uh, in Russian translation is also just strongman. Okay. So kettlebell and strength were so synonymous that their term for a strongman was a kettlebell lifter.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
1: Yeah,
2: yep.
0: so
1: these competition bells are designed uh, to help optimize those lifts. So the handle is a little bit thinner, so there's not as much grip stress. Um, the bells tend to be all the same size. They, they're kind of hollowed out so that they weigh a particular amount, but they have the same size going through the different progressions. Um, I actually think having different sizes is, is a benefit. Um, but you know, to, to each their own.
2: Uh,
1: And these, these GS athletes, uh, put up some amazing numbers. Uh, the, the, the number of snatches they'll knock out in 10 minutes is just mind boggling to me, and that's, it's with one hand switch,
2: yep.
1: so, that, so they'll do 100, 120 reps on one arm, and then switch and do the same thing on the other arm, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing, uh, it, it, it truly is, and so that's the other main type of bell that tend to have a stainless steel uh, sort of handle, whereas the cast bells are going to have uh, either a powder coating or an e-coating uh, that has a little different feel to it, um, I have a a 24 kilo bell sitting on the ground here next to me yep. that is uh 19 years old and uh was uh, the first bell i ever uh ever got uh way back when and um so i have always i have some competition bells um i just like the cast better
0: yeah i'm certainly not asking you to be uh again it's something that i noticed when when Pavel was, was was on with with, with Joe Rogan about uh, being very polite and respectful not to criticize something else. Mm-hmm. That's certainly something that I'm not asking you to do and, and wouldn't put you in that position. However <laughs> um, <can> that. <laughs> the, 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 the kettles that have on it, for example, have the 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 sort of gorilla face or the Star Wars uh, design mm-hmm. does that play any functional part and is it to a detriment right obviously i'm not sure it's going to improve the kettle but is it detrimental they just look the part or uh
1: it's definitely for looks um and i would i have never used one so i am this is a completely ignorant uh opinion having said that if the uh the, the shape of the face, because uh, I think the the gorilla type kettlebell in particular projects out a good bit from the yeah. side of the kettlebell yeah. if that is throwing off that center of mass, then yeah that's uh that's a detriment that's mm-hmm. not something that I would really want in my kettlebell. Um, they're fun um, yeah. i can I can definitely see the appeal of you know having one sitting in the gym and and uh, being an attention grabber um, but if it's changing that center of mass and making it uh, a little more un- unwieldy. Um, and you know, for things like a military press, uh, like I said, that offset center of mass is very beneficial up to a certain point. And the more you disturb that, you, you could change the benefit that you're going to get for that drill.
0: OK. The, the next question I have for you might be a fun question for you. Uh, if you had to pick three kettlebell exercises and you were stuck with those three forever. Which three would you pick? And, and then maybe discuss why.
1: Certainly. Uh, so I'm going to cheat and, and I'm going to add a fourth drill anyway.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant.
1: <laughs> get up, swing, snatch, clean and jerk. Okay. So, um, and like, you can get very minimalist uh, with this. Uh, so the get up, like we already talked about, uh, strength in a bunch of different ranges, uh, getting the stabilizers nice and smart so that they do a good job. Um, really builds resilience. Uh, just a really great drill, the swing, grips, hips and power and conditioning yeah. and for the snatch, grips, hips, uh, power and conditioning, uh, clean and jerk um really an efficient one-stop shop uh you're if you're doing something like long cycle clean and jerk um just tremendous uh power and conditioning and um and that again that efficiency where i can spend 20 minutes to a half hour on my kettlebell practice and get everything that i need and i've got lots more time to go hit the mat or or hit the the katas and, and practice so um that's that's where I would go. The the,
0: the the get up is something that I've seen done a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 are the mean if you can if you can and again this feel free to, to get as technical and as in-depth as, as, as you as you wish here, starting from a, a position laying on your back to mm-hmm. then going all the way up and all the way down. Uh, can you talk us through that? So if I were to say, well, why are we doing this part of that? Why are we doing this part? Uh, and as I say, really feel welcome to be as technical or in-depth on, on that as, as you can be, please.
1: Are you is are you going to play the video with this?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: So oh, give me a second here. Um, what's the point in having video if you don't
0: use it? This is such uh, a treat. Thank you. Yeah.
1: So. If I'm getting started in a getup, I'm going to establish my my sweat angel position. So that's going to give me about 45-degree angles. Good starting point. We adjust from there. If the arm is up, the leg is up. The down arm, I'm going to go thumb up or palm up. And what this does is it externally rotates the shoulder to a certain extent, which is gonna make it easier to connect into the lat and maintaining the good uh, scapular and shoulder position. Yep. If I turn the palm down, I internally rotate my shoulder and now I have to kind of overcome the shoulder to yep. get to the elbow. So yep. thumb up. In fact, I did my get ups for years with my hand up like this, Okay. without really appreciating how good it was at the time. And the reason I did that was one of the mistakes you'll see is somebody will do this to, do, to get started in their get up, And that kind of shrug and internal rotation, not the, not the best position for your shoulder. So this thumb up or even this position forces me to really use the drive from this foot through the stable midsection and pull myself up to this shoulder. Now here, and we get very concerned with the arm that's holding the kettlebell for good reason. We don't want to drop it and we want to be in good position, yeah, yeah. but what's happening at this base shoulder is really important as well. I don't want to come up and be in, um, what the, uh, hanging out at the beach position, right? This is just, this is Jersey shore. This is not uh, doing a get up. Told that joke in New Jersey. Yes. Um, <laughs> So from here, I want to push that ground away. I'm as concerned about stabilizing and packing or connecting this shoulder as I am connecting this shoulder. So from here, I got to get to the hand. And so I'm going to point my fingers and take myself up into this position. Again, I'm creating that externally rotated position where I'm twisting that shoulder in, connecting my lat to my Uh, arm and hip so that all of this is one unit. So that as I push down through the ground here, I can sweep this leg, nice and efficient. From here, I need to shift my weight and get to half kneeling. Now I step this foot into position. Gives me the opportunity to create a perfect lunge every time. The other alternative is to windshield wiper this rear shin and then i probably have to adjust the front foot just a little bit anyway then i'm going to stand up and i'm not going to do that because i'll come out of view. but i want to maintain that nice locked elbow neutral wrist great overhead position so i stand up i come back down now i've got to reverse whichever however i got into this position i need to reverse it so that could be the windshield wiper here or it could be the step. Now I gotta find the ground. To find the ground, I'm gonna use my my thigh as a guide because what I don't wanna do is reach behind me like that. I want to come out so that I have this nice positioning. Have a seat, come back to that nice stable shoulder position. Un unspin the hand just a little bit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: back to the elbow, and then I'm going to push myself away to return to my back.
0: <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you get seated again. Uh, now, this is the this is why doing the podcast is such a treat. It really, it really, really is because if someone said to me. Do you know the, the, the get-up? Could you show me and teach me the get-up? I, I, I until three or four minutes ago, I would have been confident that I could have demonstrated that properly. Uh, to have you, uh, I'm just like, I'm like a kid in a sweetie shop here. To, to, to get you to actually demonstrate that and just the bits that are so obvious when you say them, but to actually see you perform it is... Is, yeah it's is amazing thank thank you so much for doing that that was yeah. absolutely
1: no it's uh, I think there's uh, and that's I mean 17 years into to, to teaching this and just as if if you were to try to teach me uh, something related to your martial art um, you've you've refined the process of, of getting a beginner to do something like a, a straight punch or a front kick yeah. um, I think would still be like the two universal things you're going to do in martial arts. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've refined that process to where you can get a beginner getting dialed into those movements, uh, much faster. And that's the journey we've been on, uh, for the last 17 years. And Pavel, uh, it, did you see a free solo about Alex? Yeah. Tremendous. Tremendous. Like I, I watched it like three times, almost in a row where I'm just like, his, his ability to break down every move that he was going to do on this free climb was just mind blowing. But there's the scene in there where he says his, one of his mother's favorite uh, sayings is good enough. Isn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And good enough. Isn't uh, as far as our teaching progressions and things like that, we are always looking to refine our queuing and our coaching and how we're doing all of our techniques and when you go through something like the strong first level one certification uh there's only six things that are taught
2: okay.
1: but we're an inch wide and a, inch wide and a mile deep on those things and so uh you we we take that long-term uh minimalist approach almost to an extreme mm-hmm. uh you know you can go to other certifications and learn 50 different drills yeah. um group cool uh, we're going to stay an inch wide a mile deep and we're going to refine constantly refine coaching queuing and techniques and um, that's it's what i enjoy
0: <laughs> it's it has to be the it has to be the way to teach properly i i, I believe uh, and obviously from what you're saying there you and the the strong first organization strongly believe that as well. Uh there's so much, there's so many videos and, and coaching uh books and YouTube videos and things available now. We've talked a wee bit about the good stuff. What tips would you give someone starting kettlebells to, to avoid injury or avoid creating bad technique right from the beginning or what what pitfalls should we should we avoid?
1: So, one of the other things I do is uh, called uh, the functional movement screen, or I work with uh, Gray Cook and functional movement systems. And so, I think having uh, a, a clean slate as far as your movement is concerned mm-hmm. is important. Identifying things that could be an issue or that you just need to be able to move a little bit better, control a little bit better uh, before you start taking on the load of something like a kettlebell. Like I said, three and a half times body weight eccentric load in that bottom position. Um, I think. Uh, Clearing the slate is a good idea. Um, if you have pain, get that get that addressed. Yeah. Uh, too many people who are in pain are looking for an exercise solution, and that's not an exercise problem. That's a health problem. Okay. Um, so get get the pain taken care of. Get the get get that addressed. Will exercise end up being part of that answer? Yes, but it's probably not where you're going to start. With that answer. So get the pain addressed, get your movement clean, work with a coach. Work with a coach.
0: Good.
1: Just, yeah, we're, we're, I'm getting just a little delay here. That's I, I okay. apologize. No, I don't good. know if it's me.
0: Go, you were, you were, you were, yep, yeah, go. You were good, good.
1: Yeah, so, go. so get a coach, even just for a couple sessions. Um, and I've been doing online training for uh, several years now. And, um, so I, I felt very comfortable when COVID hit because I was already offering online services and things yeah. like that. Uh, but, uh, work with a coach, just a, a little bit of time spent learning the proper technique right off the bat will save you months of trying to unlearn something that you've grooved over, you know, individual practice. Yeah. Um, when you don't have the opportunity to work with a coach, uh, then just take your time, build the setup, up, build the get up one step at a time, get really good at getting to the elbow, uh, then get good at going from the elbow to the hand, practice those unloaded body weight and, and build the steps with load one step at a time. Um, in reference to the swing and all of the ballistics spend time on the kettlebell deadlift. Don't don't blow past that um i've given lots of sessions to lots of different uh kettlebell instructors and certified people and people wanting to get certified and i have yet to not be able to improve somebody's swing by going back to the deadlift and and making sure
0: and what yep. way would that benefit and what we what's
1: so the the deadlift is our slow motion opportunity to perfect the hip hinge we're going to use in the swing. Yes. And so just like doing a slow motion kata allows you the, the opportunity to uh, drill uh, a kick or a punch or a particular movement, the deadlift is that opportunity uh, within kettlebell training. So always coming back to that, learning how to connect the lats, learning how to sit into the hips, create that perfect athletic hinge position, uh, just has tremendous carryover to everything you're going to do in all of your other ballistic drills where we're going to use that hip hinge uh, again and again.
0: This this might be a a, a silly question. Uh, The get-up without the kettle, which I suppose is contradictory to everything we've been talking about, but is is it good advice to, you might just simply say, yes, it absolutely is, or you may say no. Should you start with the body loaded when practising the get-up or without the kettle and then introduce the kettle once the techniques because the With weight mu- the weight must eventually affect the technique as well if, if it's not good
1: 100 percent. so weight increasing load is how we uh bulletproof our technique
0: okay
1: but you have to have a technique to bulletproof before you start adding you know a lot of load and so we teach the get up first as just a body weight drill and we do that because, and and I've had this experience many, many times. You show the get up to a new student and they look back at you and go, well, I'm never going to remember all those steps. Yeah. There's, too, there's, you know, there's too much going on. But then you break it down. You have them do it uh, like a kata and you just have them go through, you know, get to the elbow, get to the hand, sweep the leg. Ta-ta-ta-ta. You just kind of run it, run it, run it, run it. Then we actually do something of balancing a shoe or a yoga block on the fist, and then have you perform the get up without dropping the shoe or the yoga block. And we do that simply to make sure all of your transitions are smooth. If your transitions aren't smooth, you could really run into trouble uh, because if you're not, if you don't have a smooth transition of sweeping the leg uh, to get into that half kneeling position, and the kettlebell pitches forward. Yep. That could be a problem. I'd rather have you drop a shoe or a yoga block than a kettlebell.
2: Yep, for sure. And
1: you might only ever do one or two shoe get ups in your life just to make sure you've got the transitions. Yep. And then absolutely progress into load. Load is how we're going to bulletproof our technique, it's how we're going to challenge our technique as we go uh, further and progress further into that drill.
0: Okay, uh, Brett, I won't keep you much longer, but I have one one more question or one more uh, exercise to discuss, and that's the squat. So mm-hmm. there's a number of variations of squatting using the kettle. Uh, if you can talk to us a little bit about the, the main benefits of a couple of the, the, the more well-known variations and how the kettle – can add a little bit different rather than using the bar, for example, or, or just a bodyweight squat?
1: Certainly. So uh, I would start right off the bat with the goblet squat, the ability to pick the kettlebell up into that goblet squat position, which aims the elbows down, which is going to allow you to connect the elbow to the vastus medialis, uh, that teardrop muscle that's just inside and above your knee. That being able to touch those two points and then create space and really open up the hips is uh, it's the starting point for every squat variation um, out there. So that that drill in particular, uh, everybody should be good at the goblet squat. It has a place at the table with with any person that we're talking about training. Once you get past that, uh, we do bring the kettlebell into the rack position Mm -hmm. and whether it's single bell, uh, which again is going to be a little bit more anti-rotation. Um, the load is, you can't handle as much load because uh, a really big bell is actually really hard to keep in the rack and yep. you end up doing some weird things as far as lifting the bell off of the chest. And that's one of the things that when, when we bring that kettlebell into the rack position, I want that connection to the body.
2: Okay. Yep, yep. And if,
1: if, we, if we were training fighters, we're not going to be in this position too often right? Because as we open up, we, we expose ourselves. We're, we want compressed. If we're training grapplers and people that are going to need to know how to still breathe when somebody's trying to choke the life out of them or compress the life out of them, uh, having to bear that load is really important. So whether it's single bell or double bell, we want to keep that good connection in our uh, kettlebell front squat, which is the quick transition from the goblet squat to the kettlebell front squat. Uh, we have had, uh, power lifters who, uh, were a thousand pound squatters who felt that double 40 kilo was enough on the kettlebell front squat. Yep. So your return on investment, um, and, and I, I keep coming back to that term because it's, it, it makes the most sense to me. If I can swing a 53 pound weight and get three and a half times body weight, eccentric load, I'm good with swinging a 53 pound weight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, for squatting, if I can get double 32s in the rack and, you know, really work through a good set of five kettlebell front squats, I'm going to get a lot of squatting benefit without having to take on 300, 400 pounds of load.
2: Um,
1: Other variations. So another benefit of the, the kettlebell front squat in particular is this great wrist position. Um, when you're training military law enforcement uh, and and grapplers and people for whom their hands are important, getting into the Olympic lifting position uh, can be very challenging and it can really stress uh, the wrist and, and create some, some issues. Uh, so that just ergonomic, really solid rack position, neutral wrist has some, some great benefits uh, with, within that as well. Um, now, I am... A little bit of a squataholic. Um, when when I was powerlifting, I, I loved to squat. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. I mean, I would squat heavy two to three days a week, uh, which most people won't do. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. I would, uh, I'd spend all day in the squat rack if I could. Um, of course, it's been a few years since I powerlifted and uh, I don't have any barbells at home. So kettlebell front squats uh, fit, fit the bill for me. Um, so I love barbell squatting. Okay. So this, this is no, in, in no way should this be seen as a, uh, an anti-barbell uh, okay. squat sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of skill uh, to, be, to be built to really barbell back squat well, whether you're using a low bar position or a high bar position. Um, there's a lot of time that you're going to spend uh, learning how to do that
2: well, yeah.
1: uh, because the loads are getting much greater. There is an increased risk. Um, I know that I can get a pair of kettlebells in the rack and I center with the weight yeah. Yeah. very easily. With the barbell, I've got to learn how to coordinate my structure around that load differently, and uh, and and know that I can do it without the risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you're an only lifter, you're going to do some overhead squats um, and, th- and things like that. Um, that. That's a little more specific to the, to the sport. Most people do not have the mobility uh, or ability to really overhead squat well. So that's something that's uh, kind of set off to the side from an exercise and load perspective. Um, yeah, so.
0: Do you know, it's, uh, I promise this will be the last Question I'll, I'll, I'll I know we're working on a time difference and your day's just beginning. Uh, so the the let's very quickly, or in fact, there's no rush from my end. Let's talk about the foot position on the squat. Mm-hmm. Keeping the toes facing forward uh, should I believe eventually lead to a better sort of functioning hip joint. Uh, and a lot more stable through the, through the legs. Would I be right in saying that, or how would you describe the best way to, to have the, the feet during a, a squatting exercise?
1: There is a foot position that is best for you and your structure. Okay. Um, I, and actually, for very few people, is that going to be feet straight ahead. Okay. Those, those people do exist. Um, I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being Scottish... Uh, you're probably not one of them either. Um, as Stu McGill has, has often quoted, the differences between an Asian hip and a Scottish hip are like two of his prime examples of how different people squat. Yeah. So um, a little bit about me. Uh, I have uh, high alpha angles uh, in on my femurs, so that means my femoral head does not change shape when it should. Okay. Uh, kind of square peg, round hole sort of thing. Okay. So instead of being able to spin my uh, femur uh, in the acetabulum the way that you would if you had uh, a properly shaped hip, mm-hmm. um, proper, w- whatever. Uh, if, if, you, if you have a, uh, and, I, and I don't want to say normal because there's such variation in hip structure that I think normal is, is kind of hard to come by as mm-hmm. far as hips are concerned. But when you have a high alpha angle, for example, you're going to impinge on the uh, hip joint, on the acetabulum, uh, labrum, and stuff like that. And when the hip stops, the back starts. So if you run out of room at your hip, your body is going to get it from somewhere, and that's typically from giving up the spine. So for most people who don't know what their hip structure is, if you force them into a straight ahead position, and I can actually stand back up and demonstrate a couple things here, Um, why not?
2: Please do it, it. please do it. We're we're on
1: video, so let's do it. Um, So if, and I'm gonna use the hinge uh, as an example. So um, getting into my uh, kettlebell deadlift or something like that. So if I go with my feet straight ahead, Yep, and yep. what I want you watching for is when my low back changes shape. So make sure my shirt's tucked in here so you can see. And so if I go from this position and I go to hip hinge, you see what's starting to happen there? Yeah. I can feel it. Like my back, I'm starting to move from my back. You can see that change.
2: Yep, yep, right? yep.
1: That's not much of a hinge, is it? No. <laughs> so now if I turn my feet out the way that I prefer to have them, Tell me when my low back changes shape.
0: A lot later if, if if at all.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So which which hinge would you rather have access to?
0: The second one.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So and for me, I'm gonna show you what my foot position is. So if if I'm getting ready to swing or squat, that's my foot position.
2: Okay. Yep. Yep. Now
1: that looks like a pretty extreme amount of turnout, but again. 62 degree alpha angle, 60, 59, 60 degree alpha angle in this hip. If I don't turn out, yeah. then I impinge.
2: Okay. Yep, yep. So
1: in this position, I mean, I can squat, hinge, uh, do things really well. And, you know, in addition, I mean, I have uh, in my right hip, uh, my anterior labrum's completely torn, uh, anterior superior labrum's torn with two paralabral cysts. Three millimeters and five millimeters in size, in case anybody's uh, interested. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I chewed, I chewed up my hip trying to do things with my feet straight ahead. Yeah. And so when I went back to, and I always naturally turned my feet up. So when I went back to doing that, all of my trouble went away. Yeah. And so individualizing the foot position so that I optimize the ability of the hip to move allows me to move without loading my lower rack
0: yep it's it's a brilliant way I mean certainly we it's this is this is another main benefit of having people like yourself on the show because it allows i think the worst thing you can do as a as a, as a teacher or, or, or instructor or, or person actually is to be stuck in a certain way without ever Allowing change to happen because you've got a certain way of thinking, and I, I must admit that having the toes facing. Now, again, w- when I was looking at the angle there, I I would, I would still have said your toes were relatively straightforward. I mean, some I may be talking about people squatting out at, at this angle, uh, but I must admit and, and hold my hands up and say I do encourage. Even just with bodyweight squats in a martial arts class, I do encourage the toes to be as straightforward as, as possible until I spoke to you. Uh, and, and that's why that's why you should hear from the experts uh, and, and be open to to change and to being educated by by someone like you. So it's definitely something I'm gonna consider.
1: I absolutely appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things you're going to hear from, from people, various people is, you know, I'll start with my feet straight ahead, but by the end of my squats, my feet are turned out. Well, start there, (laughs) start start where you ended up because there's a reason your feet ended up there. And going back into the, you know, the movement screen and and things, other things that I do um, I'm, I will have looked at, some, some of your fundamental movements and have an idea uh, of, of whether this could be muscular. Mm-hmm. There are some people whose feet will spin out because they have a simple muscular restriction. Uh, I think that's the minority of people personally. Um, I found a lot more people that have structural uh, differences at their hip. And you'll run into people who have one foot turned out like this and one foot turned out like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, I used to try to fight those and, and get them into the same turnout might not be the best idea for them. Um, So definitely individualizing the foot position and oddly enough, the goblet squat and using kind of a prying goblet squat can be one of those things that really helps you find that uh, individual foot position. And I have an article on, uh, on StrongFirst.com. I think the title is something like adjust your sails. Uh, It's about the lock and rock um, the drill that I use to, to find that individual foot position. And uh, that's, um that, that's a good way to get started but uh
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I suffered uh, from trying to do things with my feet straight ahead I am fairly passionate mm-hmm. about allowing in an, an individual foot position and uh makes makes a big difference
0: okay uh right Brett just before we finish do you want to uh, give us a little rundown of your own personal website and I, I know for a fact you're on Instagram but is there any other ways that People can follow follow you or reach out to you.
1: Uh, best uh, strongfirst.com. Um, I have a, a variety of articles and, and things that are on there, and the, I answer some questions on the community forum and, and things of that nature. We have a, a pretty active forum, uh, very active forum actually. Uh, so uh, I do have my own website, appliedstrength.com, uh, and then uh, yeah, like you said, Instagram's good. Um, uh, I think it's B Jones SFG. Uh, I, I don't even know my own Instagram uh, handle. I think it's at B Jones SFG.
0: When I was looking after uh, looking for you after uh, Philip had put, put me on to you, I I, I just typed in Brett Jones and, and up you came on Instagram, so people will find you for sure.
1: Good. Yeah, I think it's at B Jones SFG. But yeah, if they can just search Brett Jones, they'll find it. Um, and that's been over the last couple of years. I've I've just tried to do a little bit more. On uh, Instagram versus Facebook and you know things of that nature. I'm on Facebook as well, but I just I tend not to use it as much. Um, but
2: yeah.
0: Okay, uh, Brett Jones. Thank you so much. As I say, just having access to speak to someone like yourself on the show with such specific sort of knowledge on the subjects, it's a real treat. So thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome.
1: Thank Brilliant. you for the opportunity to talk and to talk to your audience,
0: Brilliant. Okay, sir, have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. You as
0: well. Okay. Thank you. Take Thanks, Brett. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. You. Bye-bye.